Our cutoff story at number 11 this week. Headline reads, at least three dead as explosion rips through building in Madrid. NBC News, the website gave us this link and we posted it out for you to talk about it on Wednesday, the 20th of January. So this is the cutoff. So that means the stories above this 10 to 1 are the stories that you actually truly gave the most engagement to this week. And we're going to get down to what stories they were. Plus, a dip into the very, very bottom, what we call the almost relevant story of the week, the one at the very, very least amount engaged this week. All that's coming up in mere moments here on the weekly wrap up with Jay Cleveland Payne. And this is the show for the week ending January 23rd, 2021. And welcome back to the show. My name, Jay Cleveland Payne, the show, the weekly wrap up. This is a weekly wrap up of news stories that we've posted on our social media feeds attached to the conversation project, which you find more information about, about the whole shebang at this is a conversation.com. Now, how does this whole thing work? How do we get a podcast out of news stories? We say that you choose. Well, we post stories about every 50 minutes on our social media sites on Facebook and Twitter. This week, we're a little lax. Some things got in the way. You know, there was inauguration and whatnot. So some things didn't quite get in there like we'd like to. So a bit lower than low this week. But look for on your feed every 50 minutes or so as you're checking things up. We'll have stories there posted. Facebook, look for us at This Is A Conversation. Twitter, TH underscore conversation. As the stories come through the feed, just like them, love them, hate them, share them. Just engage with them as much as you want to, as important as it is, as interesting as it is. And the stories with the most engagement, we call the most conversational. We'll count them down from 10 to 1 in just a moment. So you see what stories throughout the week, going from Friday about midnight uh, central time to Friday about 5 a.m. central time, were the most conversational for all of y'all. Not what I think, what y'all think. I just put them in the system. You tell me which ones are good or bad. As we said, we'll also go to the story at the very bottom this week. It's story 170, 170 distinct different posts this week. And we call that the almost relevant story of the week because it's usually a story posted late into the process, essentially Friday morning. And that's what we have for here. But it's also a story that's extremely important in what's going on these days. And so it doesn't, those stories usually don't get enough time to gin up much response. And so we give a little bit of love to that one towards the end of the show. If you want to comment about anything you hear on the show or comment about stories you don't hear on the show, email us at the conversation inbox at gmail.com. Check it out and see if we can have a conversation on pretty much anything you want to. And you can actually see a link to every single story that's listed and unlisted in this podcast from one to 170 at our website. This is a conversation.com. Click the link for this week's podcast week ending January 23rd, 2021. So if you want to help out on the show, we need all the contributions we can take. Go to this is a conversation dot com slash partnerships. See if there's a way you can partner with us to help things going or click any of the ad links you see on either our newsletter at the website or inside of our feed. We get an affiliate pay from those as well. And of course, share the podcast with as many people that you know that are into conversation and more news stories and want real news and sometimes news you can't get because the big mainstream media are stuck on stories that are important but stories that they get stuck on because they're playing the hits and you miss out on some of the the deep cuts if you will so let's go ahead and get into the countdown for this week starting off the story at number 10 this story has a bump in response. That means it's more responsive, more people engaged with it than the story we started at 11 by 3.3%. 
The story was posted on Sunday, the 17th of January, and it headline reads like this. FBI searching for armored military Humvee stolen from National Guard facility in Bell. ABC 7 in California, Los Angeles, I believe, is the source for the story. And I'm going to read you a little bit from uh, what we pulled for the newsletter every day. Monday through Friday, we have a newsletter called Eight Things to Talk About, which gives you eight of the top things to talk about that happened in the past 24, 36 hours if it's Tuesday through Friday and the whole weekend if it's the Monday version. This was posted on a Sunday, so it popped up in the Monday newsletter. Here's a little bit from the newsletter or a little bit from the actual story that they posted. The FBI announced a search Saturday for an armored military Humvee that was stolen from a National Guard armory in Bell. That's Bell, California. The Humvee, which the FBI said is worth about $120,000, was stolen Friday morning from the National Guard armory, the agency said in a news release. The FBI described the green camouflage vehicle as having four doors, the bumper number 40BSBHQ6, the administrative number a whole bunch of other numbers. The registration number, much easier, N2, oh, sorry, NZ311R. The battalion number, 40th BSB, can also be seen on the vehicle. The FBI said, agency added that the Humvee was, quote, up-armored, up-quote, meaning it had been upgraded and considered a combat vehicle. Reward of up to $10,000 is being offered for information leading to the vehicle. You can call the local FBI agency if you happen to see this vehicle or wherever your local FBI agency because they're looking for this. Oh, by the way, FBI says the theft from military vehicle carries a statutory maximum sentence of 10 years in federal prison. So at least it's only 10 years if you get caught for this. But this was something that popped up on the weekend. It looked interesting, and you guys thought it was interesting enough to stick around long enough to be in the top 10 exactly at number 10 this week and you can have more stories like this or less stories like this of course by going to our facebook feed and twitter feed and engaging in the stories to make them up higher if you want the number 11 story to be a little bit higher it was just missed by 3.3 percent that's just the distance between that story being the cutoff and this story here that was the number 10 story let's move on to story route at number nine the headline for this one reads emmanuel jackson Capital rioter who beat police with baseball bat turns himself in. Newsweek is our source for this one. Tuesday, the 19th of January, we posted it and a bump in response from the number 10 story of 12.77%. From the Newsweek article, Emmanuel Jackson is facing a number of charges, including assault on a federal law enforcement officer with a dangerous weapon, knowingly engaging in acts of physical violence against any person or property in any restricted building or grounds, and only entering or remaining in a restricted building or grounds without lawful authority. That sounds like a lot. Probably is. Jackson handed himself into police on January 18th after images and videos of him at the Capitol were shared with authorities in an attempt to identify those responsible for the siege in which five people died, including a police officer. According to an affidavit signed by FBI Special Agent Riley Palmertree, Jackson was one of the first to gain entry through the Capitol doorway at the Senate wing entrance of the west side around 2.48 p.m. 
after the violent crowd overpowered police officers. This, of course, is more details that are coming out of the attack from two weeks ago. You can call it an insurgent. You can call it a, a bad sense of judgment. You can call it some misguided people. You can call it some folks that are just straight out crazy. But whatever you want to call it, we know what happened two weeks ago on the Capitol grounds. Literally, the Capitol of the United States was a large mass of people attacking the building and essentially going after congressmen and congresswomen and senators and senators as well. But they're kind of generically termed. Now, the thing about this is two weeks after the fact, two plus weeks after the fact, we are finding more details about what's going on. One, because the live feeds were a little live feeds of things are always a little bouncy Two, most of the people here had their cell phones or recording devices because they were recording the moment and they did it real time and they did it live streaming. And so with all that stuff to go through, it just took authorities and the media a good amount of time to kind of pull it together and see more stuff. We've seen more extremely violent, ugly, just hard to really explain actions from these people. And I will say these people who were misguided in their belief that one, the election was stolen Two, they could do something about it by just rolling into Congress and beating people up. I want to believe we're done with this, but right now we have to deal with one, the prosecution of all these people that were obviously caught on camera, catching themselves in some cases, doing bad things. And two, there is the official second impeachment that's happened for the president and the second uh, trial to go for the Senate that will begin in middle February. As I record this on Saturday, the 23rd, uh, the articles impeachment by the House will be delivered on Monday morning and there'll be an official reading on Wednesday. And then there'll be basically two weeks of adjournment, just at least for this thing, so they could vote on some other things that Biden needs to get taken care of the first couple of weeks and give everybody time to get their ducks in a row for the trial. We will talk more about this going down the line. Trust me, because a lot of these folks are basically saying their defense is Trump told me to do this. And they're literally going to vote or judge whether Trump told them to do this. Moving on to the story at number eight this week. This headline reads, and I'd never thought I'd read something like this, but Gwyneth Paltrow's vagina candle reportedly explodes in UK women's home. Monday the 18th, when we posted it for you to get into no pun intended. And you guys rank this slightly higher than the number nine story by literally a point, point nine four percent. Here's a little bit of the write up that we pulled for the newsletter that we put in from the New York Post. A smells like my vagina candle that the actress pedals on goop exploded into flames in the living room of a UK woman who won the odoriferous product in a quiz. The Sun reported. Quote, the candle exploded and emitted huge flames with bits flying everywhere. I've never seen anything like it. The whole thing was ablaze and it was too hot to touch. There was an inferno in my room, says Jody Thompson, a 50-year-old media consultant from Kilburn, North London. That's what she told reporters. Thompson, who lives with her partner, David Snow, said they threw the flaming candle out the front door. There is so many things we can go into that one. Number one, she didn't actually buy the <clears throat> candle. Uh, and number two, the fact that it exploded in flames. I'm going to literally back away from that one as quick as possible. We can have all the really silly and all the sick jokes you want to back and forth. If you want to have them, email them to the crew at the conversation inbox at gmail.com. And trust me, this is going to go quite a while um, because this story, as you saw, went pun intended quite a while 
Let's move on. <sighs> Try to move on. This one is a bit more serious, so we're going to get off that levity of the last one and move to this one. Number seven, Army Vet says he's no hero after a New York City subway scuffle with Naked Man. Sunday, the 17th of January, we posted this one. A lot of stories lasting through the weekend this week. Bump in response to this one of 1.87%. Now, because of the way social media works and time in general, a story that was posted on in the Monday newsletter posted over the weekend took a whole lot of time to get through to stick around this long. And actually, it had to grow to get past some of the other stories that were also posted for the top eight for Monday morning. So we're glad that this one came about and this one gained more steam throughout the week because this is a good story to actually talk about. Sometimes we're talking about a lot of things are really, really weird that like I said, it's what you say are conversational, but sometimes good stories make their way through all the bad stories. I'm glad that we can't we always don't stick by the if it bleeds, it leads because you guys go for things that are really caring. Let me read you some from the story. This one we pulled from the New York Post. The good Samaritan who jumped onto Manhattan subway tracks to save a strap hanger shoved by a naked homeless man is a disabled vet who insists he's no hero. He was just trying to set an example for the teens he now mentors. Tyler Horrell, 55, told the Post on Sunday that he leapt onto action at the 110th Street Lenox Avenue station Saturday when a nude attacker, Malik Jackson, who was 23 prior, who has 23 prior arrests, pushed a man onto the tracks, leaving the victim looking lifeless on the rail bed as the number three train rounded the bend. As other train riders screamed in horror, Horrell jumped down onto the tracks to try to help the victim to safety, prompting the stark naked Jackson to leap after him. Jackson, who was the subject of at least 15 previous disturbance calls in the neighborhood, eventually hit the third rail and was fatally executed. I'm sorry, electrocuted. Maybe same difference here. Horrell a Missouri native and disabled former serviceman who now works in youth services at the nonprofit United Settlement, where he mentors troubled youngsters, was humbled after the actions. This is a, another case of a normal guy doing normal things, and we are very proud for what he's doing. A, a veteran, a mentor, doing good things. And, of course, this is the time when people try to figure out what it is that's not so good that he should be picked up for because that's what people do unfortunately but we're going to just celebrate this man for the good thing he did and we're going to pray and give thoughts and just condolences to the family of Malik Jackson because although he is the instigator of this incident he's obviously pretty troubled and we know he has family and friends who have to now deal with this loss of their family and friend their family member and friend in the going forward and of course knowing this is the legacy that he unfortunately now leaves let's move on to the story now at number six headline university of texas fires head coach after alleged recruitment violations sorry for the bad reading on that one but this was posted on monday the 18th of january with a bump in response of from the seven story of 47.71 percent because yes we people love us some football this is a worldwide podcast, so I'm not sure why there's so much love for football, Southern football and SEC football. But I think it's mostly hate and mostly because of Tennessee. Some words from NPR, where we got our version of the story. Chancellor Donde Plowman did not address the specific rule violations in a press release issued Monday. She emphasized that while the investigation implicated many of the football office, 
It did not find anyone outside of it involved in the alleged activity. Plowman said she will move forward with the termination of football head coach Jeremy Pruitt and assistant football coaches Brian Niethermeyer and Shelton Felton, as well as seven unnamed individuals, four members of the on-campus football recruiting staff, the director, the assistant director of football player personnel, and a, quote, football analyst quality control coach, unquote. The Associated Press export reports that Pruitt's termination was for cause meaning it will not he will not receive a twelve point six million dollar buyout. Pruitt's attorney, Michael Lyons, released a statement saying that the firing and accusations were announced publicly, quote, prior to any substantive opportunity to respond before the appropriate decisions makers. We believe the decision to be culmination of an orchestrated effort to renege on contractual promises made to Coach Pruitt upon his hiring in 2017 and reiterated less than five months ago. Unquote. Now, the real interesting thing about this one right here is not so much the hate for Tennessee football, but the hate for football coaches who have the clouds of bad recruiting in their midst. In fact, a lot of the responses that were given in the social media around this was, and who's next? Kirby Smart at Georgia, because apparently Kirby Smart had some of those same sort of rumors coming around the recruits he has coming in. Now, recruiting violations, nothing new in college football. And so that's not to be surprised about. But something this big where they essentially saw something, fired him quickly and did not give him a chance to respond, which may not be so fair, but was essentially the way to keep from having to pay him that $12.6 million buyout. Uh, I know here in Arkansas, we've had a lot of issues with coaches for the University of, and there have been a lot of issues about the money paid out to those guys who left under extremely bad circumstances. I'm talking about you, Bobby Petrino. But despite the ongoings or goings-ons, whichever way you want to take it, uh, this is serious business, and this is serious business, and the money in college football for coaches is something that should not be joked about. So whether Tennessee will get a chance to get out of this buyout or whether they'll have to find a way to pay Pruitt some, if not all of his money, we'll see down the line. And like I said, because y'all folks love y'all some SEC football, or at least some SEC football scandals, we'll probably be back on this one in a few months. Let's keep it going. Moving to the story we now have at number five, the headline, Judge Orders Release of More Gisane Maxwell Records minus salacious details tuesday the 19th of january is when we got this one for you to see and this one with another big bumper response as well 25.47 percent over the story at number six this is a federal case for a person who basically resides in new york but for some reason we pulled the lines from the miami herald so here's something from their website with the words that sort of explain this a federal judge on tuesday ordered the unsealing and release of dozens of documents in a now settled civil suit involving Jelaine Maxwell, the jailed and accused co-conspirator of the sex offender Jeffrey Epstein, but afforded the longtime Epstein associate a measure of privacy by ruling that salacious portions of testimony about her sex life will remain private. Tuesday hearing apprised over by Judge Loretto A. Presco involved the potential release of 156 new documents in a settled lawsuit between Maxwell and Epstein accuser Virginia Roberts Goofy. 
something sought by something sought by the Miami Hamill. And the biggest point of contention was a July 2016 deposition by Maxwell. That deposition was forced on her after she was deemed unresponsive when she sat before Guffey's lawyer in a April 2016 deposition. Apologies for the bad reading. Much of that grilling made public in October had to do with her sexual behavior and that of Epstein. A first batch of documents released in late July featured an email from 2015 in which Epstein scolded Maxwell, telling her she'd, quote, done nothing wrong and I would urge you to start acting like it, unquote. So those are the type of things that you want to see because it can go deep into proving guilt and innocence. But unfortunately for her, maybe for the rest of the world, because of the nature of the crime and because of the nature of the criminal, there's a whole lot of weird sexual details in there that most people don't need to know. They don't actually go to explaining the crime, but they do make it look really, really icky. So because of that, records will be sealed so we can see more of the public case, the public can know more about what happened. But some things will be left unsaid, which I believe is a pretty good thing in this case right here. At number four, Mets fire GM Jared Porter for sending explicit unsolicited text messages images to female reporter Tuesday, the 19th of January as well. This was posted and this story gets a bumper response from the story at number five of just three point nine six percent. This was big time breaking news, but our source for it was CBS Sports dot com. Here's part of their write up. Jarrett Porter was fired as general manager of the New York Mets on Tuesday morning, hours after acknowledging in a report by ESPN's Mina Kimes and Jeff Passan that he sent unsolicited sexually explicit images to a female reporter while employed by the Chicago Cubs as their director of pro scouting in 2016. An explicit image was the final message in a string of 62 consecutive unanswered texts. Porter met the woman in a Yankee Stadium elevator in June of 2016 and asked her three times to get a drink before the day was over, according to Kimes and Passant. She eventually stopped responding to his text messages, but Porter continued to text her anyway, including sending images. Mets president Sandy Alderson held a press conference on Tuesday afternoon and said the team was unaware of Porter's conduct before hiring him and noted that revelations were a, quote, wake up call. Unquote. More from Alderson, who said the Mets will not hire a replacement for Porter in the short term, which means for all baseball purposes, essentially the the, the GM situation and the whole um, situation in the back office will stay the same until they figure something out Uh, for Jared Porter. He's out of a job and because he's out of a job for doing something so salacious. And apparently that's one of the themes we have going on here. It's going to be a while till he figures out what's going to happen and whatever Mia Copas will be, be will be led to get him back into some sort of some sort of job related shape, not even game shape, but to get a job. Now, with all the, the, you know, TV sources and the media sources, and the money involved in sports, there's always a home for disgraced coaches, which we had one earlier in the show, and disgraced GMs to pop up and do an analysis and talk about stuff and give details how things go on. And sometimes they get there a whole lot faster than you think. So he probably won't be without some sort of job. But right now, he's obviously not. It's obviously a bit 
radioactive to take any real time working job in the workings of actual baseball dynamics, unless it's something on a minor league lower level or something where they can hide him in the background and hopefully nobody figures it out. If you're a fan of the Mets and like the season they had last year, which wasn't really all that great, then you're probably just happy that this thing is blown over before baseball season started and you can kind of focus on baseball pretty soon. If you're not a fan of the Mets, well, then you're probably happy that this is more news that shows how bad the Mets organization is doing right now. Right now, it's not baseball time, so we'll, we'll dump on baseball in a few months, but there's always room, apparently, for bad people in sports. We had a football coach earlier. We have a GM for baseball in here. If you want to have more of these types of stories or less of these types of stories, make sure you are giving more love and more engagement to the stories you want more of. That's by going to our website, thisistheconversation.com, and seeing what's out there. And, of course, just checking your feed in your social media, Facebook, This Is a Conversation, Twitter, TH underscore conversation. The story at number three is the oldest story on the listing, which I think we'll start pointing out, uh, pointing out more often going forward. The story at number two is almost as old. Both these stories posted on Friday. This first one was actually posted right at the cutoff for the the cutoff for last week's podcast. So it wasn't big enough to make that podcast, but it lasted essentially from when we shut that down going forward to make it all the way to number three. And this is a story that's a very big one. There was a story that did not make it into the window that out tease a little bit about in a bit, which I don't do often, but because it's related to words that are said by analysts. We've had a bad uh, football coach and a bad GM in baseball, so why not have a bad analyst? Although this is one I don't think is a bad analyst. I have a lot of love for this analyst, but the words she says are the words that I hear way too often, and they're not good words. Bump and response to this story from the number four story is 36.19%. So a story posted on all the way from Friday is that much higher than a story posted on Tuesday. The headline reads, ESPN's Jackie McMullen under fire for saying Kyrie Irving is an NBA owner's property because they pay him millions. As we said, the bump and response from that story, massive on that one, posted uh, somewhere early in the morning, but after the cutoff for the the countdown for last week and did not have a chance to make it in anyway. It wouldn't have enough time to get there. But being that it lasted all week long, became a bit of a firestorm earlier in the week and by various other uh, media sources. It was a pretty big deal. So I'm going to get you some of the lines that was in the write up that we pulled it from. We pulled it off a of bro Bible pretty early, but then it turned into more of a national story with better writing, if you will. So we'll read you what we have to talk about, because that's how what we started the conversation with with you guys way back on the, well, the end of last week. Honestly, Kyrie Irving's mysterious absence from the Brooklyn Nets has been a hot topic of conversation in NBA circles. But Jackie McMullen's take on the situation may have gone too far. Earlier this week, it was reported that Kyrie had decided to take some time off because he was upset over, quote, everything that is going on in his country. Unquote, following the U.S. Capitol riot. While take, talking about the Irving situation to Ryan Russello's podcast, McMullen told a story about the time she once got into an argument with Kyrie about the NBA draft. During the argument, Kyrie told her that players should go to whichever team they wanted because, quote, we're not someone's property, unquote, to which she responded by saying, quote, yeah. You are, dude. That's the way it works. That's why you get paid millions of dollars, unquote. 
McMullen's comments didn't sit too well with the NBA fans who felt she was being racially insensitive. So that ends the piece that we, we, we clipped from the article. Now, here is my semi-defensive Jack McMullen, which is going to turn into a not-defensive Jack McMullen. The whole point of athletes being property and and professional athletics being the closest thing we have to legal slavery in the nation, if not the world, is not a new trope that's that's out there. It's something that is actually said a lot and whispered about a lot and discussed a lot in some of the black, 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 black community, because you literally bid for or choose for or roll dice for, in some cases, pick ping pong balls like a lottery, an actual lottery for the rights to have a person perform work for you. It's not so much like a job interview where you just show up, you put out your resume to whoever you want to and whoever wants to have you come in will come in. And then at the end of the day, you can just choose which team you go for. That's not how this thing works. You are literally being bid for and for for the rights to have you work for them. And under contract, you can't just well, you can just leave. There are ways you can leave your contract, but you can't just leave and just all of a sudden go work someplace else because of collective bargaining, because of so much money being paid. Now, so much money being paid is not an excuse for basically calling somebody a slave, but so much money being paid is the essentially the excuse that they use for so much money being paid. I cannot defend Jackie McMullen. I love that lady to death. I love her takes, love what she talks about stuff. I love the way she gives energy to uh, some discussions in a different sort of view uh, as a, and I'll say older woman in sports who's basically gone through the rigmarole of the old guys and having that female view and a different view for all this time. But this is one thing that you got to be careful for. And the the real issue is this was a private conversation that she just dropped into the thing because they're talking about Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving, um, there's a lot of weirdness going on with him right now. And, and so the fact that he was a topic of discussion is not out of the norm. But the fact that she dropped this little nugget as if it were useful to the conversation, not useful to the conversation. There will at some time or many times be a larger discussion on the property issue. And, of course, every time there's a negotiation for contracts, there's a bit of discussions for the property issues or rights issues. But at the same time, this is not a topic you should just be flipping about. I'm not just saying that because it's a black, 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 black topic. I'm saying it because pretty much it just is. As I said, the number two story, almost as old as the number one story, just by about uh, 12 hours or so. So this is one posted later in the day on Friday. The headline for this one reads, authorities are investigating whether a TikTok video showed missing Arkansas woman Cassie Compton. And we posted this story on Friday, as you said. This one is was going to be tops anyway or near tops because it's a top rated Twitter story. But there's a phenomenon, just sort of a a disturbance in the force on facebook this week so we'll get to that in the number one story so it's the top twitter story this week it gets a bump in response from the story at number three on jackie mcmullen of 35.31 percent of its own and as i said uh this was just a kind of a week for those stories let me read you some of this from msn.com the and i'll tell you up front the main reason why this one caught my attention was essentially the missing Arkansas story woman. I had no idea about the TikTok video. I knew this woman has been seen in some local media coverage here, but when I posted it, apparently I don't know if it was because it was TikTok or if this is a larger missing person story. But like I said, you guys responded to this one on Twitter pretty quickly and kept this one in the running all week long. 
Police in Arkansas said they're looking into a viral TikTok video that many believe showed Cassie Compton, a girl who was missing in 2014 when she was 15 years old. In the TikTok video, a young woman can be seen in the backseat of a car with two other individuals. She has what appears to be either bruising or dark marks under her eyes. The TikTok posts a screen recording of a video uploaded to Facebook was shared on Thursday and has 27, 2.7 million views of as of Friday afternoon. Viewers of the video quickly commented that the girl who has dark brunette hair resembled Compton, who had blonde hair at the time when she went missing. It was also shared a lot on Twitter, which may be partially why I picked up steam because the video shared on Twitter and the story shared on Twitter. And that's why the Twitter love to pick it up on this one. There was no actual updates on this one. As you said, the authorities are still looking to see if this girl is who they think it is or who they think it might be. And the people putting it on TikTok. There's a lot of things to say about this, but unfortunately, this is not the top story. We leave the big commentary and the chatter for the top story. And oddly enough, another Arkansas based story, another very odd story. Let's get you the stats and the fanfare, because that's what we do to get this thing started. As we said, normally the top Twitter story is number one. But this week, this one didn't have that much of a Twitter response. In fact, Twitter would not have put it into the top 10 like like most stories do. But the Facebook response on this one was even larger than the Twitter response for the last story. Facebook outdoing itself this week as the top Facebook story makes a number one story. This gets a bump in response from the story at number two of 134 percent that much a bump in response from the story at number 10 that of course fbi searching for the humvee stolen in california that bump in response is of 863 percent in the story at the very bottom this week obviously we had less stories so there's there's less movement a whole only 170 this week but the bump in response this one more responsive than that story by 45,200 percent that's how much more love this got Then the bottom story, we'll get to that one in a bit. That's a very important story to get to. But the story, the headline at number one reads like this posted on Wednesday, the 20th of January. Adult film star working at Taco Bell to pay bills says she was fired after, quote, God fearing customers complained. The Daily Dot is our source for this one. And this is the story all about how Donna Wells or Lana Wells got her life flipped upside down. The source is the Daily Dot, where we pulled this one. And there's a lot of things that are just sort of odd on that website. But this pulled up in some other places as well. It wasn't just, you know, flirty, wordy stories. I'm going to read you what we got from the Daily Dot, which also has a bit of an update. So here we go. Lana Wells, 33, told the Daily Beast in an exclusive interview that she started working at a Taco Bell in Newport, Arkansas, to continue providing for her family after the pandemic put a pause on the adult film industry. Wells claimed that she was transparent about her adult work during a job interview process and that the manager assured her it was, quote, not going to cause any problems, unquote. But less than a week into her new job, Wells says she was fired a, quote, God-fearing, unquote, customer. That's where the quote goes. Allegedly took issue with Wells doing Internet porn and lodged an official complaint about her. Wells said the fast food chain fired her at the customer's behest 30 minutes before she was supposed to start her shift. The updated part. 
When reached for comment, Taco Bell told the Daily Dot in a statement that Wells, quote, worked for a franchise location and the franchisee had informed us that the accusations made are not accurate and that she was instead terminated for violation of their policies and procedures, unquote, from that statement. Now, here's where the commentary goes weirdly, weirdly off the rails here. Now, while you people seem to like stories about adult film stars, especially a couple of years ago when apparently they were dying every single week and they were always the top stories, there uh, I, I have I, no judgment, no backlash on that one. But this is a story that's just flat out sort of weird and non-committal, and just sort of like, why are we talking about this? Yet it is here. Now, a lot of the comments that that we got from this were people trying to, you know, find this adult film star and help her back into her porn career. Yes, that happened. And a few people were responding to the fact that who is this God fearing person and how did they know that she was doing porn, which is, of course, a very good question to ask. And I have no idea on the answer to that one as well. And normally these stories at the top are things that you can really give real commentary to, uh, but this is one of those where I ain't one to judge uh, Lorena Wells, not because I'm having issues with, uh, with with porn or anything like that. But we've had a lot of stories lately that dealt with adult film stars, adult film actions, and some um, um, amateurish things as well. Of course, last week we had the story about the OnlyFans, uh, the OnlyFans people not making enough money to make OnlyFans worth it attached to the story of the person who was making buku amounts of money in only in in, um, in the porn industry now because you no know, there's nothing else to do but porn there are a lot of people seriously hurting right now a lot of people seriously in dire need of support and resources and there's a lot of people apparently turning to only fans and pornography to make up the bill and for some reason there's plenty of people throwing money at pornography and only fans to um, help people pay their bills and this is apparently something that's not going away and when the pandemic is over we can probably have a really deep discussion on on porn to be honest but we can have a deeper discussion on on just the the value that's not the values of a person but the value money wise of these things right here because it's just like you know booze it's just like uh, drugs just like you know eating junk food there are times when people just sort of go go nuts and stress out and they go for those things that are calming or, or make them feel good because they're looking for that buzz. Pornography is the same way. So is the problem there's so many people stressed out that they're really looking for more porn or is the problem that, you know, there literally is so much out there because there's nothing else going on with a with a cheap, easy value that it's just so easy to get into and there's just the same money just being spread around other ways. I'd like to see an actual breakdown because I'm curious, not because I'm in the porn of how much money is actually going into adult films and to that type of industry right now with all other air quotes, legit industries having their issues, uh, especially in the supply and demand part, because apparently there's plenty of supply and apparently there's a good bit of demand to keep going as well. But we're going to use that to back away from the porn 
and get on to uh, the story at the bottom. But first, the full display of stats for the week. Let's talk about that. Engagement for the top story this week, 14, uh, uh, 14.39%. So about 50% of all the stories that we had out there, the eyeballs went to this story right here. Uh, with a more or less regular uh, level for the story at number two, as I said, the number one story, the Facebook response, is such an anomaly. It's, it's, we'll get to that in a moment. It's odd. The top 10 stories, instead of the normal 30-35%, got a 40.79% total engagement for the week. Not too bad because Facebook kind of blew it up to a little little extra based on its response. Facebook uses such a lower factor, but it's still 40% over the normal 30-ish percent was there. The almost ran stories 11 through 15, including the the cutoff story about the explosion that happened in Madrid – uh, that those stories, six point four five percent, more or less in range. The almost relevant story of the week gets a engagement of point zero three percent, which oddly enough is exactly where the normal is. We'll get to that story in about twenty seconds. Facebook engagement this week was up from around eight percent to twenty one point zero eight percent. So the Twitter response down by a little bit, seventy eight to point nine. So that's um twenty two to seventy eight, twenty one to seventy nine percent in the total engagement. A good day, a good week for Facebook. Uh, that, of course, will not be sustained, but we'd like to see it go a little, keep the sale higher. So make sure you're checking out Facebook and you're following us. Make sure we're defaulting your feed so you can see our stories more often and engage in them as they pop up. Now let's go into the story that's at the very bottom this week, number 170. Posted on Friday the 22nd, so as we said, posted in the very late stages of this week's podcast. So chances are it could actually gain steam and we're done for the weekend and see may find life in next week. But for right now, we're talking about it because it's so, so low, 45,200%, I should say, but the less engagement than the first story, the number one story, the porn star at Taco Bell story. Here's your headline. 1,900 doses of Moderna's vaccine destroyed after cleaner unplugs freezer in Boston. ABCnews.go.com. That's where we got this story from. And this is very sad news indeed. Thousands of doses of the Moderna COVID-19 vaccine were destroyed after a cleaner in Boston accidentally unplugged the freezer which they were being stored. Quote, on Tuesday, January 19, 2021, VA Boston Pharmacy staff discovered that a freezer at the Jamaica Plains campus failed. As a result, 1,900 doses of the Moderna COVID-19 vaccine stored in the freezer were compromised. Kyle Toto, the public affairs specialist at VA Boston Healthcare System, said in a statement on Thursday. The Moderna vaccine doses arrive at their designated facilities frozen between negative 13 and 5 degrees Fahrenheit according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. They can be kept frozen or stored in a refrigerator between 36 and 46 degrees Fahrenheit for up to 30 days before the vials are punctured. Toto said the freezer at the Boston Pharmacy, quote, was in a secure location and had an alarm system installed. The plug was found loose after a contractor accidentally removed it while cleaning he said the investigation and why the incident occurred and why the alarm system did not work out was supposed to is going on. So 
very quickly because we don't comment on these so much. Uh, very sad to hear about this situation. There's so many stories about vaccines and and places being short on vaccines, and of course people being wary on it, which is why the distribution is such a weird thing. That it's bad news to hear that something that's literally something stupid uh, caused nineteen hundred. 1,900 that many doses of this vaccine to just go waste it. Now you could say in the grand scheme of things, that's not a lot, but you know, we're talking about, we're talking about the herd immunity thought process. We're talking about that many more people who aren't set aside into the system. We're just talking about just literally, like I said, stupidity that kept something from going on. Uh, we will see ongoing whether this is a continuing story that gets more love throughout the week. As I said, this was something that was given to us happening late on Thursday. Uh, we posted it very early Friday. We'll see if people pick up on this one throughout the weekend or throughout the week, whether it becomes a story. This has potential to become a story that may cause some wrinkles and some ripples throughout the time. There's a lot of talk about the vaccine efficiency, getting it out there right now. We will see. In the meantime, we won't see very much more of those stories because they're done for, except for maybe that story at the bottom of the story here. Going forward, though, we're already working to get stories in line for next week's podcast because we never stop, even though this was kind of a bad week of getting things posted on the lower end of getting things in there. But as planned or as we try to plan, every 50 minutes, we will post a story concurrently on both Twitter and Facebook at the same time uh, that is hopefully engaging. And you let us know exactly how engaging by engaging in it. Liking them, loving them, hating them, sharing them, just doing what you want to do to show that it's something that you want to talk about. And if it makes the top 10 at the end of the week, we talk about it right here on Facebook. Search for This is the Conversation. Our icon's a blue speech bubble looking thing. And make sure we're set as a default so that we get a little bit of chance to fight through all the Zuckerberg nonsense so you can see us more often. On Twitter, we are TH underscore conversation because there's just not enough spaces and characters for this is the conversation. And, of course, uh, you can find us every single week, every single day, every single hour, what we have going on at our website, this is a conversation.com. Now, remember, the conversation project is powered by you. So if you think the news you get from here, and while it is mostly aggregation, it is a good news source and a good way to find out what's going on that's not being muscled by the mainstream. You can join us in, in the support. Go to this is a conversation.com slash partnerships and see if there's a way to, in the partnership list that you would like to help us out. Or just click a link for any of our ads in any of our platforms, the newsletter, the website, and, of course, in the feed. We get affiliate commission from all those buys. So if they take care of you, they take care of us as well. Most important thing you can do about this is make sure you're sharing the podcast and sharing the links on social media with other folks who are really into more news as opposed to more of the same news. And they as well can be a part of selecting what comes in the playlist for the end of the week. You guys do the set list. You guys tell me the rundown. You guys tell me what news stories we're talking about. I know there's a big old shift this week in CNN and all their big anchors getting new gigs and old gigs and shifted gigs and double gigs. But just because they have plenty of time and planning for their gigs, their planning is not going into this planning. You guys tell me what we're talking about every week in the stories. You guys tell me what are the most conversational news stories. And we're glad to have input from you, no matter where you are in the world. We are glad and love you for that. So thank you, thank you, thank you for being a part of the show. Email me at theconversationinbox at gmail.com for any questions, comments, or further conversations on these things. And get ready because next week we're going to do this again. Another edition where we'll go through the top 10 stories that 
you said were the top 10 stories, most conversation of the week on the weekly wrap up with Jay Cleveland Payne. So we'll talk to you next week.